I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I was about 10 years old the first time I said that in front of a congregation. Um, it was a Sunday morning. I remember an orange plastic chair that I was sitting in in children's church and Shorty Allen was teaching the lesson. It was about Jesus' death and resurrection and how much he loved me, the topic that Mark Scott gets to preach on next week, that it struck me, I believed. And so I went home and told my mom and dad and we met with the senior minister and there was a slideshow or something involved there that he showed me, but they tested me and made sure that my belief was as sure as it could be at the age of 10. And the next Sunday morning, I walked down uh, the green carpeted sanctuary at the First Christian Church, Monmouth, Illinois, wearing my favorite purple dress, and I made my confession and was baptized. You in the room probably have a similar story. We know that most people will make their first confession of faith before the age of 13. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as a former children's minister and current children's ministry volunteer, I take the responsibility of leading children into that confession very seriously. So seriously, I did a whole doctoral research project on it. This is an important thing to me. I'm making sure that those of you in this room, those kids out there I've gotten to minister to, that they believe as much as possible at the age of six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, that when they make that confession, they do so with knowledge and wisdom, well, as much as we can when we're seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. And though this is still my confession, I don't believe it like I did when I was 10. And I hope you don't either. Whether you made that confession when you were five or 10 or 13 or 18 or just a few weeks ago at a Christ and Youth Conference, I hope that, that you're already growing into a belief of who Jesus is, that that confession is, is growing. I mean, the, the confession I made at age 10, it was true. It's still true. It's just, it was childlike. It was the seeds of my faith. Many of you encountered Jesus at a very early age. You don't even remember the first time you heard Jesus' name, do you? I mean, it was part of your vocabulary. You, you learned words, mom, dad, ball. I didn't learn the word dog because we didn't have one, but I did learn the word Doug. <laughs> That's my brother, for those of you who don't know, who's also a professor here at Ozark Christian College. I'm the sister, not the wife, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Let's get that straight, all right? Alongside of all of that language, I learned the name Jesus. You probably did too. And here, along with that name, was probably the earliest image you had of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Let's call him flannel graph Jesus, shall we? And, and may, okay, so maybe you didn't have this great technology at your church. I mean, this was, this was the technology of the 1900s, okay? Um, back in, in, in my era. And so, but many of you were introduced to a flat kind of Jesus. Maybe he wasn't flannel graph Jesus, 
Maybe he was coloring book Jesus or activity page Jesus, you know, the sticker or, you know, cartoon video Jesus. But this is similar to your very first image of Jesus. He's got long brown flowy hair. He's got a white robe. This particular artist chose red for his sash. Um, Sometimes it's blue. Red seems a little bit more angry Jesus, but that's okay, you know. (laughs) And you learned about Jesus from infancy, from his infancy. You learned about Jesus in the manger, Jesus, and you learned about Jesus when he was 12, Jesus, and well, you, flannel graph is great, because I, I have all sorts of Jesuses here. I can have praying Jesus. I can have teaching Jesus, because, you know, he had to sit down to teach, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, flannel graph is great, because, you know, I can put Jesus in all sorts of scenarios with, you know, a little bit of felt and, you know, a big piece of felt. So I can put him in with his disciples. He is teaching them and, oh, I can make the crowd a bit larger as he's, have, he's you know, feeding 5,000 or teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, here's the little children that he's allowing to him. We can also have Jesus heal people who have infirmities and also... Yeah, he's got a real infirmity, let's see. Um, and we can have Jesus even scolding the religious leaders, right? This is how I learned the stories of Jesus. This is how many of you in the room learned the stories of Jesus. These are the seeds of my faith. These are the seeds that led me to make that confession when I was 10 years old. And flannel graph, it's a great teaching tool with three-year-olds. It's fantastic. One day, I remember Jet Blackburn. A little aside here, if you're gonna name your child Jet, be ready to run a lot after that little guy, but Jet, get it, Jet Blackburn, he was, yeah. He comes up to me at the end of uh, the the story I was teaching that morning to the three and four-year-olds, and he says to me, Miss Teresa, can I take Jesus home with me? Aw, that's really cute when you're three. It's not so cute when you're 18 or 22 or 40 something. Because here's, you know, here's what happens. Do we sometimes treat Jesus like this flannel graph piece that we can just move around the board at our will and not his? Do we sometimes treat Jesus as, I'm gonna put you in the situations I want, not the situations you want for me? Do we sometimes think of flannel graph Jesus as, I'm just gonna take you home with me and put you in my pocket and pull you out when I need you or when I wanna admit that you're part of my life, but otherwise hide you behind me? Or did your knowledge of Jesus grow up? Did you grow out of the flannel graphs Jesus stage and somewhere along the way, you know, older elementary, middle school, high school, you started to learn the language about who Jesus is. Jesus, fully God and fully man. You started to learn these big words, incarnation and trinity and perichoresis. We don't know what that means, but you know, you, okay, you probably haven't learned that word yet. That's fine, but you, you, you learned how to start to articulate this God, man. 
You learned passages like found in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But I wonder if in your growing up, of understanding who Jesus is, your conception of Jesus was a little bit more like a DC or Marvel comic character, that Jesus was a superhero, he was superhuman, that he was God in disguise like Clark Kent or Diana Prince, that your, your conception of Jesus was more, he's not really human like you and I are human, he's like extra human. Or maybe your struggle is in the opposite direction. You embrace, you accept that Jesus is fully human, but it's more so the God part. You're not fully convinced of. Like, well, yeah, he's God, but, well, let me use it, let me illustrate it this way. So I was visiting a church um, a couple of years ago doing an evaluation of their children's ministry, and I went into their kids' worship service and a very, very well-meaning volunteer, very well-meaning volunteer, was trying to describe the relationship between God and Jesus, which is hard to do with elementary kids. So he starts drawing a figure of God, which was this huge stick figure, which is about my artistic level also, so I had to appreciate that, right? But then he drew a picture of Jesus, another stick figure, but smaller, as if Jesus is... God Jr. Or maybe, you know, the Father is the venti size and Jesus is the grande size, which means the Holy Spirit is the tall size, the Starbucks Trinity, all right? <laughs> that's, but that's, that's not what we believe. We don't believe that. Colossians chapter two, verse nine says, for in him Christ, the whole fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Do you really believe that Jesus is fully God? Or is he God, like, nicer or more loving or subordinate in some way to the Father? Here is what is still true and will always be true. Jesus is the manifestation of what my brother introduced us to at Convocation. God's imminence, God is with us, and God's transcendence. God is beyond us through the incarnation. The incarnation, this word that means God and flesh, not God in flesh, not Clark Kent, Diana Prince in flesh, no. God in flesh. The union of the human nature with the divine in one person. This is uniquely in Christ and this is our belief. And when you first believed about Jesus in childhood, flannel graph Jesus or superhuman Jesus or Jesus Jr., what we hope that you do is as you grow, so does your belief and understanding that Jesus the Christ is fully God and fully human at the same time. There was a woman who knew there was something a bit different about Jesus. And so she saw it after him. She heard that he was in town and she knew that if she could just get close enough to him, she didn't need to talk to him. 
She didn't need to have a conversation. All she needed to do was actually grab just a piece of his flannel graph size robe and she could be healed. She'd been sick for 12 years. She had sought healing from every physician and because she had been bleeding for 12 years, ladies, <laughs> she was unclean. She had to live outside of her society, outside of her community. And so she comes seeking Jesus. Well, Jesus at the time is surrounded by a crowd of people. There are people everywhere because Jesus is on his way somewhere. Jairus, the synagogue leader, had come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you to come with me because my daughter is dying and I need you to come now. So Jesus is making his way through this crowd and you can just imagine all of these people crowded up around him, trying to touch him, trying to get his attention because they've got something that they need to have addressed also. And this woman somehow makes her way through the crowd, sneaks up behind him and touches just the edge of his robe. And Jesus stops. And I love this part of this story found in Luke chapter eight. Jesus just stops and says, who touched me? Peter, God love Peter, right? Peter looks at Jesus like, um, Jesus, are you crazy? They're like everybody's touching you right now. I mean, every, like who's not touching you right now is the question. <laughs> yeah. and, and Jesus says, but I felt power leave me. I felt, I felt power leave me and I, I, I need to stop the action I need to address what has happened here. The woman had been healed instantly. She doesn't need any further attention, or does she? Here's what I want us to wonder together this morning. Why does he stop? Why does he stop? I mean, the woman is healed. He doesn't need to stop. In fact, Jairus is probably not real happy that Jesus has stopped because he needs, he needs to get him to his house so that he can heal his little girl. But why does he stop? I think because Jesus is God enfleshed, both human and divine. Yes, his divine power had healed this woman instantaneously, but in his humanity, he needed to stop the action and look at her. Jesus is God the Son. Fully God. Colossians chapter one says this, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The power of Jesus's robe heals her just with her faith and that touch. But Jesus is also fully human. John one, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I think that in his humanity, Jesus has to restore her humanity, her dignity, her identity. Daughter, he says to her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She couldn't have begun to comprehend she couldn't have begun to comprehend who this was. Fully God, fully man, this person who was in front of her, she just knew he could do something for her. And we have trouble, we have trouble with our finite minds conceiving of who God really is in Jesus, fully God and fully man. I think part of it is 
that we have trouble conceiving of those two things, humanity and deity in Jesus, because we think they're in opposition, that they're in conflict. Because we live in a world that's in sometimes opposition and in conflict, and we don't think that they can possess the exact same space at the exact same time. For example, some people will say, you can't be logical and emotional at the same time. I disagree, but that's what some people, that's what my brother says, all right? And, and, and sometimes, and, and some people say you can't be a Republican and a Democrat at the same time, all right? Well, that seems to be the truth right now, but okay. And some people say you can't be a Cubs fan and a Cardinals fan at the same time. That's, okay, that's true. You can't be a Cubs fan and a Cardinals fan at the same time. That is not true. I, and evidently, there's this big thing right now going on. I don't quite understand it because I don't eat gluten. But evidently, you can't like Chick-fil-A and Popeyes at the same time. Unless it's Sunday, and I guess all of us like Popeyes on Sunday. Is that... Is that the deal? I don't, I, you know, we think of, we just think of these things in conflict, humanity and deity in conflict. But here's the thing, humanity and deity aren't in opposition. It's in Christ that we understand. It's in Christ. <laughs> it's in Christ that we understand what it means to actually be human. It's in Jesus. Let's go back to the very beginning. Bob started us with Genesis 1 a few weeks ago. Let's pick that up. Genesis 1 verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The very first woman and the very first man in perfect harmony with God. Adam and Eve bear the very image of God in unity with God. No opposition, no conflict. And here's my proposition for us. It's not our human nature. It's not our human nature that leads us to sin. It's human nature was created in the image of God. It's the sinful world in which this fallen world, yes, we are all going to sin and fall short of the glory of God, but that's not how we were created in the image of God. This fallen world is gonna tempt us and seduce us and lure us into sin, and the result is we become less and less human. The image of God fades. It's hidden by our sin. To say, I'm only human as an excuse for sin, that's, that's a false statement. My friend, Dr. Miriam Perkins says this, it's the incarnation, it's our assurance that sin has not and it cannot destroy the mark of God's image on us. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and in the exact representation of his being, sustains all things by his powerful word, fully human, in whom God the Father says, I am well pleased. He becomes our true example of humanity and therefore, he's the example of our true identity. For in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. Our redeemed, our restored identity now. A couple years ago, Dr. Alvin Sanders was on our campus talking with faculty and staff about issues related to racial and ethnic diversity. Matthew McBirth, our diversity director, reminded us of this conversation a few weeks ago in faculty meeting. 
and reminded us about this image that Dr. Sanders gave us about our identity as, as individuals, that all of us see ourselves kind of in three spheres, well, hopefully three spheres. One is our social identity, the things that we've, we perceive about ourselves in relationship to the world, relationship to other people, or what other people have labeled us as. We have our unique identity, things that are specific to us, our birth dates, skill sets, those kinds of things. But that all of that should fall under our biblical identity, who God says that we are. And so it got me to thinking about um, my own social identity and my own life. And, and here's just the weird thing. Um, I realized that this week, this first week of September, has been a socially identity shifting time in my life over the past 40 some years that I've been alive. Um, it was the first week of September, 40 years ago, that my family moved from what I will forever call the promised land of Ohio to the exile of Western Illinois. <laughs> and a few weeks into the second grade, I become the new kid. Isn't Doug cute in that photo? <laughs> I became the new kid in the second grade. Have you seen the movie Inside Out? It's hard to move in the second grade. My social identity shifted quite a bit. 30 years ago today, I was the 1989 Warren County Prime Bee Festival Princess. <laughs> Which means I got to ride on a boat. I didn't get to keep the boat. I got to have pictures taken with cows and as my brother then lovingly called me for, well, still calls me the cow queen. Um, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, this week, I was Miss Teresa, children's minister at a church in Ohio that had split in half. That's who I was then. 10 years ago, 10 years ago today, in fact, I was Dr. Welch giving the convocation address at Emmanuel School of Religion as the new faculty member, wearing my Hogwarts-like regalia, <laughs> surrounded by my colleagues who'd all gone to get PhDs at institutions like Harvard and Princeton and Yale and Notre Dame. I felt like a, a small fish in a big pond. Here I am today, my identity, I'm the Vice President of Institutional Research and Effectiveness, which is exactly what every little girl grows up dreaming that she can be, yeah. you know? Because if kids, if you dream big, you too can fill out a lot of paperwork for accreditation, you know? <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <clears throat> Three weeks ago, freshman, three weeks ago, you went through a huge social identity shift, didn't you? You went from knowing who you were in high school, in those social groups, that youth group, your family, to all of a sudden you're in a dorm floor and a life group and classes and who am I right now? Seniors, those of you graduating in December more so than those of you in May, but still you're freaking out, right? Cause you're like, who am I gonna be? What church is gonna hire me? Am I gonna get married before I graduate? Cause is that possible after graduation? Evidently it is, but you know, I, I, I don't know. Junior, stop 
course, your identity is shifting all the time. Your social identity is shifting all the time. But here's the thing. This woman, her social identity had been unclean, outside of society, but what does Jesus call her? He calls her daughter. It doesn't matter <laughs> what our social identity is, our unique identity is, here's the truest thing about me. It doesn't matter that I was the new kid or the Warren County Primary Festival Princess. The truest thing about me is, <laughs> I'm a daughter of God. And God is well pleased with me. And women in the room, you are a daughter of God. That is who you are. Not your sin and not your social status. You are a daughter of God. Men in the room, you are a son of God. And that means Christ is our brother and our God. So what do we do with the deity of Christ? We know what to do with the humanity of Christ, so what do we do with the deity of Christ? Because I think if we understand who Christ fully is as God, we understand our ministry. So let's go back to flannel graph Jesus here for a minute and think about all the stories you learned in childhood. Stories about lepers healed and paralytics that walked and blind that see and children raised to life and storms stilled and bread multiplied and water turned to wine. Each story, each turn of the gospel page, we get to see the power of God on display always, always, always for the glory of God. But notice the limits that Jesus placed on himself who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus could have eliminated all the limits he put on himself with a word. But instead, his ministry was restrained by his humanity. Starting at about age 30, for three years, Jesus ministers to the people right in front of him, or the women who come tugging on his cloak. He could have snapped his fingers and everyone in the world healed of every disease. He could have spoke to very large crowds, lengthy sermons every single day. But instead, what does he do? He withdraws from crowds often. His teaching is primarily to 12 guys, some women who supported his ministry, the poor, the sick, the children, the widows, those that people call sinners. Jesus shows us the presence and the power of God isn't just displayed in big, big, glorious miracles or a big booming voice. But God is present in everyday moments. God is present, his power is there in the everyday moments that are right in front of you. The power of Christ is in you when you minister to that 11 year old girl who's currently fighting with her best friend or the 10th grade boy that's trying to live a life of purity and and honor and sanctification in the middle of a high school football team and in relationships, a freshman who just moved here to Bible college who's freaking out about being away from home. 
It's in ministry to single women who've adopted two autistic boys or to the widow across the street who really wants to talk about her husband who passed away. Christ says, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. My hope is that while you are a student here, or for those of you who are thinking about it, come on on, join us, all right? I want you to grow in your belief about who Jesus is, the one who calls us to our true identity and empowers our ministry. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God.